0: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Marcus Peter, filling in for Al Cresta on this lovely Tuesday afternoon, May the 2nd, feast day of St. Athanasius of Alexandria, this great father of orthodoxy. The greatest loves in history are... Actually, not Romeo and Juliet. In fact, I like reminding people that if we were to look at Romeo and Juliet, you'll realize that it was basically two teenagers who ended a love romance in less than a week. The greatest loves in history were the saints who sought to love God above all else. And for those saints called to marriage, it was God's love that led them to pursue their spouse in a more pure and holy courtship. We're joined with Patrick O'Hearn, who shares some of their stories with us. Patrick is an author and a a freelance editor, and he previously served as Tan Books' acquisition editor for two years. Grew up in the Midwest, he spent years in a Benedictine monastery, he discerned out and discerned the call to marriage, and he's since been the author of numerous books. The book that we will be discussing today is yet to be released. As I mentioned earlier, it's called How the Saints Met Their Spouses, published by Tan Books. He graduated with a master's in education from Franciscan University of Steubenville and a bachelor's in marketing from St. Ambrose University. Patrick, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's, it's, it's an honor and a pleasure. I took a brief look at your book and I'm, I'm quite frankly astounded at the painstaking amount of research that you put into writing this. I, and thank you for this. This is truly needed in our church, uh, in, in especially at this present time when marriage is being so disparaged in the, in the public sphere and popular culture. So I want to ask, I want to start by asking you. You are you're a married man, and from everything I gather from your writings, you value marriage greatly. So, what what prompted the desire to write down the love stories of the great saints?
1: You know, I'm always looking to the ideal, and uh, I think the saints are the greatest ideals. And you know, our young people today, as they're discerning marriage, they often come from divorced homes, and and a lot of them are you know they're delaying marriage, and they don't know um, what examples to turn to and to pursue their marriage, and and fear is driving them as well. And so I think when we turn to the saints, you know, those are our best exemplars, and that's why uh, this book was written, and uh, often, you know, I I look at myself, and I'm hopefully, you know, God willing, you know, my children when they grow up, you you know, I wrote it in a sense to keep them in mind for the future, like, here are the clear guidelines, this is what the Church teaches, and here are the saints and how they love so beautifully.
0: And I love that you start this this work from page nine onwards. You know, your first chapter you start it by engaging the reality of courtship, and you call it very simply "courtship defined." So, I, I want to start by just asking you to share your thoughts on the modern notion of dating.
1: Yeah, I think dating, you know, it's become uh, so focused on externals. You know, we talk about how much money someone has, even their physical beauty, and you know, and Fulton Sheen talks about. You know, Obviously, you want to be attracted to your spouse, and those are allurements, but you go to deeper, you go to virtue, and I think, and that's what it made me pause and reflect on this book, because, you know, we're just, I mean, as we see the course of you know, half of marriages and in divorce, and so I think that courtship is really a solution to this, because the way your marriage is going to turn out, it's it begins with how you prepare for it, and I think as, as I recall, too, you know, even my time in the monastery—I spent a few years there discerning—and I think about marriage, and it's—you know—most most of the time, it's only a few months uh, for some people, um, and and then you talk about those in religious life in the seminary and how they're preparing, and so this whole book is to kind of to point people back um, dating. We talk about there's a friendship dating aspect that is part of courtship, but really going back to even the biblical times, courtship was always the foundation, and I think we've lost that sense, and so that was kind of the Holy Spirit was kind of putting this book on to, let's get back to our uh, Catholic and uh, biblical roots.
0: I, I truly love that you did that. If I may quote from page 9 of the book Courtship Defined, this is chapter 1, uh, the first page of chapter 1. During the 16th century, courtship was referred to as the wooing of a woman, attention paid by a man to a woman with the intention of winning her affection and ultimately her consent to marriage. I mean, already in, in those sentences, y- you're highlighting notions of valor, of knighthood, of chivalry, of of pursuit, of of understanding and guarding the affections of the woman. A lot of Is simply not seen in the public sphere anymore.
1: Yeah, I mean, dating it just, as I said in the book, it just looks at the present. You know, what's like, and while courtship has that end in mind, you know, marriage, you know, you're always keeping that end in mind. And so, again, that I try to make those distinctions between dating and marriage.
0: Right, and I love between courtship. No, no, go ahead, please.
1: Yeah, yeah, just making those distinctions between, you know, that courtship is. It's you know your your whole purpose is to look to see if someone has virtue, and you know in dating I mean there is some elements of that, but again as I as I mentioned earlier it's it's mostly the externals.
0: Yep, absolutely. And you, you quote uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen's Guide to Contentment. Uh, for those of you interested, you're going to find this on page 15. and It's one of my favorite quotes. He repeats this quote in his Your Life is Worth Living series. He says this, beauty in a woman and strength in a man are two of the most evident spurs to love. But that that's just it, they're just spurs. Physical beauty and vitality increase vigor in each other. But it is to be noticed that beauty in a woman and strength in a man are given by God to serve purposes of allurement. But they come at the age of life when they are urged to marry one another. But he goes on to say this, they are not permanent. And that's why he encourages us to look deeper into into virtue and fall in love with the person and not the externals. I... You know, th- this whole notion of, of being your bride's knight in shining armor seems to be so lost in the vernacular narrative today. And yet, that that's the innate call for every single man. Every every time I speak to my, my students, these young men who are, you know, growing up to become the men that God wants them to be, I, I constantly encourage them. I tell them, no, this is the battle. This is the war. Onward to battle. Onward, like, onward to the fight. Pick up your sword and, and, and fight for these women who've been put. In your charge but and you write that you know in, in these sentences it's so innate that if we are talking about courtship then a man ought to be selfless in his pursuit of his future spouse there should be a spirit of sacrifice
1: yeah definitely and i remember you know when i read jason ever he had a great book in the past and he said you know when you when you're with a girl and and, and for instance if you were to die that night like you she should like if she were to die in your arms like you should feel like safe that she's going to stand at the judgment of God and 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 you present her you know holy and pure and and I think that's the whole thing is protecting the the woman's honor as well and the father's involved in this you know in this courtship and often I think you know with dating it's like the dad has no it's like he has no say, he's no involved and I, I think again this whole idea of bringing back you know the the father's role in there as the guardian of his daughter and mm-hmm. in the same way with God the father you know he expects you know his his daughter's to be treated with 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 purity and uh with with virtue and and, and the whole call of uh, again whole call of uh, courtship is to reclaim that
0: you know <laughs> it it, it I, I'm certain you're gonna echo the sentiment as soon as i say it e- even now i'm I'm four years going on five into marriage and you've been married just a little longer than me based on what i've read and this, this desire to be my bride's knight in shining armor, to be worthy of her affections, is still so prominent in my interactions with her. We, we just flew to North Dakota uh, this past weekend for my sister's graduation, and we had a seven-hour drive both ways, uh, b- simply because of the distance of the airport and whatnot and it was very important to me to communicate to her that i wanted to do the lion's share of the driving and i had to help her understand that this was my desire like it, it it just felt kind of silly to 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 explain that to her and yet at the same time it was very important for me to let her know that i'm not doing this for the sake of doing this i really want to be her knight in shining armor and and you undoubtedly have have notions and stories like that
1: yeah i mean that's the whole point is the sacrificial love, and we look at, you know, like Ephesians 5, you know, and, that, and that's one of the problems, you know, we see in our world, you know, in, in terms of women submitting to their husband, and but we forget the first line, it's like, a man must love his, life, his wife as Christ loved the Church, mm-hmm. so that, that dying to yourself, and that's why our wives, they reciprocate, they serve us, because we are laying down our lives, and throughout this book, I mean, I have the story of John Paul II's parents, and you know, when his mother she died, I think she was around 45, but she was very ill for many years. And John Paul's father just I mean, he was preparing the meals, serving her. And I think that's the kind of you know the life. You know, when you get when you get married, you don't anticipate the sufferings that are coming, and but they will come. And that's so your vows are tested. And it's only through you know modeling Christ. You know, I think the saints. That's why. Often in, I mean, if we could go to these parents, you know, these parents of the saints' bedrooms, we would see a giant crucifix probably above their nuptial bed. Mm-hmm. Because that's what they were gazing upon, and that's the, you know, the perfection of love. And it's a, a lesson for, you know, for us men today is to always, you know, to look at the cross and say, "Am I, am I being like you, our Lord, and uh, to my spouse?" Gosh.
0: And, and what a high, lofty call! And yet that, in fact, is is not just the ideal, that's actually what we're called to. It, it, it's not just an unattainable ideal, God's grace is going to make that possible, because that's what we're called to, like you said, in Ephesians 5.
1: Most definitely. And, I mean, even, in the, you know, one of these stories I have, you know, I, have, I was able to interview uh, just St. Gianna's daughter, and uh, just... Just the love that her—I mean, she calls her dad a saint. He's not canonized. I pray that someday he becomes a saint. I mean, I think in in a sense, he almost had the hardest sa- sacrifice because he had to raise his daughters, and uh, I think they may had a son, but for many years, I mean, without his wife. And this is—you know—the path that he—I mean—he learned that from obviously Gianna offering her life, and then after she was gone, that he could say, you know, what I'm gonna I'm gonna continue your legacy of self-sacrificial love, and and he did that throughout his life.
0: And, you know, you, you, you highlight all of these characteristics by starting off in, in presenting that love stories are present from the scriptures, old all the way to the new. You mentioned Boaz and Ruth. You mentioned Tobias and Sarah. Uh, you you also, also mentioned Joseph and Mary, Joachim and Anne. So, you know, this notion of romantic pursuit is really interwoven into our fabric as Christians.
1: Yeah, but I mean, the Bible is a whole love story. I mean, you look at the, so we know the Song of Songs. And so it's, it's you know, in a sense, it's, you know, the bridegroom Christ pursuing his church. And, and that's what I, you know, like reflecting on the Old Testament and, you know, Joseph and Mary and a lot of those saints that we see in the Old Testament. It is, it's like they're trying to, to be that reflection of Christ and to, to consider, you know, how God constantly pursues us. And that's why, you know, I believe, you know, like as I say in the uh, you know in the marketing copy, they were the greatest lovers, and I believe this because they loved God more than their spouse. Mm. And I think there is a there's a correlation. Uh, I mean, between our love for the Eucharist and our love for our spouse. You know, the more we love the Eucharist, you know, the more we you know we we love uh, love our brides.
0: Right, and, and we're going to continue this conversation. We're coming to the end of this segment, but but I'd really like to touch on that notion that love, true love, is not about pleasure. It's about selfless giving. It's about gift. And you know, quoting John Paul II's theology of the body, man only truly finds himself when he makes a complete gift of himself to the other. I've been talking to Patrick O'Hearn, author and freelance editor, and uh, previous book acquisitions editor for ten books. He, we're talking about his latest book. The loves how the saints met their spouses. I Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on Cresta in the afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to Cresta in the afternoon. Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta on this Tuesday afternoon, May the 2nd, feast day of St. Athanasius of Alexandria. We're talking with Patrick O'Hearn about his latest book, How the Saints Met Their Spouses. For those of you who are interested, Patrick, would you mind just telling us very briefly how people can get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, so I have, uh, my website is uh, www.contemplativeheartpress.com. I have a list of all my books on there and then my, my content contact information is on there.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Patrick. And we'll be sure to list that in the, the description of the program today. we want to continue the conversation about Patrick's latest book. It's yet to be released. We just got a marketing copy of it called How the Saints Met Their Spouses. And it's essentially detailing the love stories of these holy men and women across salvation history. So we were talking about the, the notion of God wanting virtuous love and romance uh, th- throughout his plan of salvation history, we see this in the scriptures. And, and that's so antithetical to what we're seeing in the public sphere. This reality of, on the one hand, romance has been thrown out of the picture. And and with that, we've also thrown out the notion of the difference between male and female. And when we don't talk about the difference, we don't talk about how these differences can complement each other. We've now ostensibly, in the public worldview, made man and woman this this ambiguous, gray blob of of nothing and something at the same time. And that's why there's so much gender confusion. Because if women can be men and men can be it, it, if women can do everything that men can, then women can be men and men can be women. But at the same time, men and women can be 173 different other things things and and in this in, in, in light of all of this this overt sexualization of everything it's obscene it, it, we've come to a point where we think love equals I, this is going to sound really crass as I say it but love equals the, the kinds of things that one would do to the genitalia for pleasure. When, in fact, in your book you highlight very clearly, no, 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 love is rooted in the sacrificial giving of the self for the sake of the other. So help us, help, help us pivot this notion. Help us really understand that this is what lo- this is the kind of love that ought to spur courtship on.
1: Yeah, you know, in the uh, one my, my opening chapter, you know, I talk about the different stages of courtship, and I had the help of you know Father Graham. Um, beautiful priest, you know, just a an exorcist, and he uh, allowed me to use his material and endorse the book. And again, it's just, this is, it's the notion of, you know, does this person, you know, do they have virtue? Can they help me get to heaven? You know, and, and I think that, you know, that's that's so lost on on our uh, our world today, um, but we're not, and, and I think the courtship and then looking at these different saints, you know, we see that. You know what? Everything was about sacrificial love. Can mm. this person sacrifice for me? Um, and I think um, you know, just highlighting even even the story of Joseph and Mary in scripture. And you know, I use private revelation for them. And one of the things that struck me uh, was about Joseph, and it said that he was the only one that felt unworthy of Mary, and that's why we think that you know that he wasn't really essentially divorcing her. Uh, he was he felt unworthy of her, and mm. so the humility. You know so with these virtues you know, when you see sacrifice it comes humility and i think that that's that's one of the game changers in in uh in courtship today is you know for a guy for a man when he pursues a woman you know it's it's it comes in a uh, that he's striving he knows that you know like he, he knows that he's not going to place god you know and i think that like we talked we talked about earlier like this these false notions of love a woman Today, people that don't have God, they place everything in that spouse, everything in, in, as if they're going to be their own God. And I think when we step back and we look at uh, courtship, we're saying, what kind of humility do you have? What kind of sacrifice do you have? Right.
0: And and that's that's truly beautiful and profound because that's the, that's the proper perspective one ought to have when approaching marriage. I think, so in 15 years of ministry across the world, one of the worst things that's coming out, even in the, the Catholic popular speaker sphere woodwork if you will, is this notion of uh, if there's no sexual attraction between the two from the get go from the initial get go there's absolutely nothing to discern and 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 so many people in, in the process just wind up shutting the door on what would otherwise be a true marital uh, grace a, a true potential sacrament that could lead th- that could help them in their race to heaven, because like you said, marriage is about can I see this person helping me get to heaven and vice versa. I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking about my bride and you were asking, you know, can I see this person sacrificing for me? And gosh, do I see it. I saw it long before we got married. I see it daily now as we are married. This woman is nothing but an epitome of sacrifice for the sake of marriage and our family. And, and I'm so thankful for that grace. But I'm also fully aware that a lot of people don't choose and, and don't make decisions based on that criteria. And unfortunately, as Fulton Sheen tells us, well, I'm sorry, but a dies. It, it's not meant to be permanent. So, in in your book, you respond to that.
1: I do. You know, I think, and having the stories fleshes that out. And and I, I love the fact, you know, Saint Gianna and Pietro Mova. You know, they met. They knew each other about five years before they pursued their you know courtship. And they would see each other. They they, they first met at um, Saint Gianna's brother was a priest, and uh, so she sorry brother was a doctor i think i think she had a maybe she had a brother as a priest too Mm -hmm. and she did have a brother as a priest as well but uh so they met at the doctor's office and they kind of glanced eyes and they went their separate way and so it wasn't really like love at first sight and then after Gianna was praying a novena she prayed a novena to our lady and it was like on december 8th she talks about this grace she received and then she ran into pietro at a first mass of a priest that they knew, and Pietro was just taken, kind of blown away by her smile, but also her reverence. And I'm sure he was attracted to her when they met five years ago, but it wasn't like this infatuation. And I think that is, it is, a, it's a, our uh, media, everything does a disservice. It's got to be love at first sight. But again, you, you, should, you need to be attracted to your spouse. I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. But you go to the deeper qualities because that will fade. That, those looks will fade, but the virtue lives on.
0: I, and and you're completely right gosh and Of all the stories, I'm drawn most of all to Joseph and Maria Ratzinger, largely because I I see Pope Benedict XVI as my spiritual father. The man in my final journey into the church, he took me by the hand as a good father and brought me solidly into the bosom of the magisterium, and I've never left since. So I, I look upon his parents as, you know, sort of spiritual grandparents. And I love that you begin the story with the ad that Joseph Ratzinger, the senior, put forth asking for his future bride. And would you like to share that with us? If, if you don't have a copy of it, just let me know. I'd, I'll read it out happily.
1: I, I, no, I, I turned right to the page. No, I, I love when I saw this, I was like, this is so beautiful. So he put in the <laughs> Catholic newspaper, and then uh, he said, middle-ranking civil servant, single Catholic, 43, immaculate past from the country, is looking for a good Catholic, pure girl who can cook well, tackle all household chores, with a talent for sewing and homemaking, with a view to marriage as soon as possible, fortune desirable but not a precondition.
0: <laughs> My bride would hear that, and these are her words, not mine. I just I know her well enough. She would look at uh, hear that and go, "Gosh, that's so cute." And I wouldn't use that word, but that there really
1: is an enduring quality to that ad. There is. It was kind of like. He was praying for that for so long. You know, I love, you know, he says, you know, even the first thing looking for a good Catholic, pure girl who can cook well. So obviously the purity, that was front and center of virtue. Mm-hmm. And then the other things, and I, I kind of, it's kind of like God fulfilled his wildest dreams because, you know, it turns out his wife was not only, she was not only a good cook, she became, she was a baker. You know, she grew up baking her whole life.
0: <laughs> and 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 Gosh was was she virtuous, but also she already had taken efforts to form her her soul, her, her her intellect into the acceptance of the spousal and mother motherly role that a woman ought to grow into.
1: Definitely, and I think like those those homemaking skills. It's you know, I mean, we see today you know people getting married they don't even know how to cook, or even even men like you know I'm I'm kind of. I feel like, man, sometimes I wish I knew how to teach my son more things. But it's like we need to prepare for that. And I think these saints, especially because they were married later in life, you know, I, I commented that um, Pope Benedict's parent, you know, parents were his dad was fifty and his mom was forty three when he was born. And it's it's such a great lesson too that you know a lot of times you see people in their forties are like I'm done having kids. Right. So Here is their openness to life, and uh, because of that, God rewarded them with a you know future future saint
0: a future saint, potential doctor of the church, easily the greatest thinker of modern Catholic history, and possibly one of the most influential spiritual fathers of our generation. And we were so close to it, we never realized it, and all because these two people, Joseph and Maria, said yes to the plan of God for their life.
1: You know, and it shows their I admire their creativity. You know, I'm, I've never been, uh, you know, I know several people that have got, you know, met their spouse on Catholic Match. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's not out of question. You know, you you have to listen to the spirit. But I think, like what I, I see the theme throughout this book is it's a level of trust. It's trusting in God because sometimes it take it can take five to ten years. Like you know, I'm sure that they would have loved. I think you know, Pope Benedict's dad would have loved to have gotten married younger. I'm sure he would have loved to had more kids. Even John Paul II's you know you know parents they only had three children. She came from a big family, and it just shows you God works. Like He gives us what we need, and we have to trust Him. And that but uh, we're faithful to him, he always, you know, he pays back a hundredfold to us.
0: Right. And, you know, you highlight the dates uh, that they met each other and got married. And, you know, that, that smack toward the end of World War I, moving into World War II, there really was, as you mentioned, no time to get married. Everyone just had to fend for themselves and make a living. And yet these saints, these two people demonstrate that being virtuous amidst the greatest turmoil is not only possible, it's actually desirable.
1: I think, you know, those years that they formed themselves, it's like they knew what they wanted. So you know, you see people in their, you know, in their thirties. Like, oh, am I ever going to meet my spouse? It's like, you know what? Just continue to be virtuous. Continue to pray. Draw closer to God. And like, you know, every moment you're choosing your future spouse, whether you realize it or not. Every every temptation that comes your way, even as, as early as, and I say it, your vocation of marriage doesn't begin when you're you when know, you're you know, a teenager. It begins from the day you're born and
0: it depends from your parents' example. Absolutely. I think we underestimate the fact that it is the job of virtuous fathers to call out the man and the father in his son. And it's the job of the virtuous mother to call out the woman and the mother in her daughter from as young as they are blessed with them. This is not something that we ought to automatically assume everyone knows. No, no, no. It's our job to form them into these God-given roles.
1: Yeah, and, and even... You know, I talk about too, like a lot of parents, you know, they, they pray for their children's vocation, but do you pray for your your, uh, your your son's future wife? And having them think about that, have you know, have what would what do you feel God's calling you to be when you get older? You know, ask him that question. I have a, I asked my seven year old, like, What do you wanna do you want to be a priest? You wanna get married? He's like, I want to be married and then I, I always joke with him, like, Well, who are you gonna marry at the church? And then he says the name, I was like, Well, you gotta pray, you know and just just having them see that beauty of of love and uh, and then forming them and i think the way that it's formed i, I asked a parish priest uh, I, I asked his parents i go how did you what advice do you have to me to form a vocation and he goes i, I just loved my wife and i think that's at the center of it too. other than god it's like having that affection for our spouses and you you see that in the life of saint elizabeth of hungary i highlight her like her husband when he come home from you know uh, from know distant countries she'd, she'd run to him and give him a thousand kisses It said like she madly loved him mm.
0: and that's completely true. I genuinely believe one of the greatest irrevocable gifts that a father can give his children is to allow them to
1: see just how much he loves their mother it is i mean just that you know we if we take it for granted I think it's you know in it's got to parallel our love with God, you know, as we grow in the spiritual life. We, love, we should love God every day more than the previous one. same think our spouse, but I think unfortunately it's like you reach that pinnacle of your wedding day, your honeymoon, and then children come in and then it seems to sadly become, you become very lukewarm. And you no right. longer court your spouse. And that's, I think the whole... This whole book, the theme that I see from these things is God wants
0: We gotta end there, Patrick. I'm sorry. Marcus Peter filling in for Al Cresta I've been talking to Patrick O'Hearn on Cresta in the afternoon.